Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us now in your word and through your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless the preaching of your word um, and that you would uh, be pleased uh, with all uh, that you hear and see here this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. I'm going to uh, be real with you tonight. I'm worn out. Janie and I both are worn out. I was on a call with our church planting coach uh, this past Thursday. He got pretty stern with me, actually. You have to understand what I was revealing to him was something that was dawning on me at the time, which is that with the exception of Labor Day... I have not taken a day off in the last four weeks. Now, I don't know how that happened. Ever since school started back, the train just hasn't stopped. Dan, who's our coach, was adamant that I stop right now. And what I've just confessed to you is what I understand to be the hardest thing for any minister to do. Which is why all my training is sort of beat it over my head to take a Sabbath. Now, I've probably told some of you that you also need to take a Sabbath. Now, most of us know that what we mean when we say to take a a Sabbath just means to take a day off every once in a while, at least once a week. And few of us would hear me say that I need to Sabbath or hear me say that I need to Sabbath and understand me to be saying that we all need to observe the seventh day as Israel did or still does. There are some Christians who would say that we should do just that. It's one of the Ten Commandments, after all. We typically see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And we declare that there are now only nine commandments to keep. I think that's dangerous, by the way. But I've been thinking about taking the Sabbath quite a bit now. And I'm not sure that we've been thinking about it the way that we should. So I tend to think about the Sabbath as Jesus taught us. It was made for us, not we for it. That's another way of saying that it's more of a gift than it is a commandment. Now, I am fully convinced in my mind I should probably observe the Sabbath. Now, is Father Ben telling us that we should observe the Sabbath too, all of us? Well, my answer would be only if you're convinced that doing so would honor the Lord. Our passage tonight is saying that we are free to honor the Lord as we are resolved to in our minds. And not only that, but we're not to condemn or to judge others for what they are convinced will honor the Lord. The gospel has reoriented our whole existence in the world, which means that it's reoriented all of our relationships with fellow Christians. Now, I may be wrong about observing the Sabbath, but Christ has died for me. This is the message of all of Romans. Christ has died for me and will perfect the good work that he began in me. And if that is the case for me, it's the case for you as well. 
So brothers and sisters, to be conformed to the image of Christ is not to be conformed to the image of one another. Part of being in the community of Jesus is that we respect each other as he perfects the work that he has begun in each one of us. Well, today we wrap up our series in the book of Romans. These final chapters are St. Paul's application of the entirety of the truth of the gospel to our life together in the church. And this has been his concern really from the very beginning. If you remember, there was tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And he wants them to be patient with one another even to love one another as they wrestle with important issues which as, as which days to observe and which foods to eat. Paul is basically saying, let the Jewish believers keep, continue to keep the Sabbath while the Gentiles regard all days alike. Let the Gentiles eat meat because they're free to do so. Stop judging and condemning one another. You are all one in Christ. I begin this morning uh, by talking about the Sabbath for two reasons. And the first one is that it's one of the questions that the Roman church was struggling with. The second reason is that something that I myself am struggling with, which I think affects our life together and the life of Mission St. James. Well, chapter 14 begins with a discussion about the weaker and the stronger of us. We didn't read the first five verses, but that's where Paul talks about the weak and the strong. The weak, he says, only eat vegetables. Why? Why were they vegetarians? It wasn't for health reasons or reasons you and I might choose to be a vegetarian. They were probably the Jewish believers who kept kosher. Kosher was the, uh, the, the Old Testament dietary laws. They would, uh, that, they, would, they would avoid eating all meats because they didn't want to eat anything that the Old Testament called unclean. So to avoid eating tainted or unclean or, uh, uh, meat or meat sacrificed to idols, they would just stay away from meat altogether just to play it safe. Now, remember that God gave St. Peter the vision of the sheet coming down from heaven that held all kinds of unclean animals. In that vision, God told Peter to stand up and to kill and to eat. And Peter would refuse. And God responded by telling him not to call anything unclean that he himself has called clean. And this is an occurrence that happens as the Gentile Cornelius has sent for Peter to preach the gospel to himself and to his whole household. This is a big learning moment for Peter. The implication is that in the gospel, that is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has grafted the Gentiles into the tree of Israel. That was the point of the dietary laws. Now, the gospel has freed men and women to eat various unclean meats because God has cleansed that which was once unclean. However, for the Jewish believers, this required some time to get used to, as you can imagine. And this is also the case with many of the festivals and holy days that the Jewish calendar. And Paul is saying, give each other some space, y'all. 
Not everyone is going to reach maturity at the same time. So be patient with each other. Now, it's important to note here that Paul has in mind certain religious customs. He has spent the last 13 chapters making clear that there is sin and disobedience among human beings. Today, there's much disagreement on what and varying opinions on what is considered sin and what is not considered sin. One thinks of the debates on sexuality as a prime example of our day. But there are others. We easily excuse divorce and remarriage, which Scripture is very clear about. We also excuse greed by saying we deserve every penny that we get. We excuse dishonesty by calling false testimony little white lies. Covetousness is merely keeping up with the Joneses, and on and on it goes. Paul is not talking about having different opinions on these things. He is talking about the various ways that we choose to honor the Lord. That's a very big difference. Now, when I was a kid, I used to, um, I had this like sort of superstition. I didn't really become a believer until I was 14 years old. But I had this superstition. I always had a Bible in my possession, in my room somewhere. But I always tried to keep from putting objects on top of the Bible. Have you ever done anything something like this? It just felt disrespectful for me. But at that point in my life, if you were to sit there and tell me that, yeah, that I was being weak and immature and that it didn't really matter if I put things on my Bible, you would actually be taking away from me perhaps the only way I knew how to honor the Lord. That's what's important is honoring the Lord. Paul has already told us that if we die to sin, we can no longer live in sin. Sin dishonors the Lord, period. What Paul is talking about here are the various ways that you and I seek to honor him. And we just had our second evening in our Anglicanism 101 class, which is you could still join, so feel free to join. The details are there in your, in your bulletin. But we're exploring in that class what exactly Anglicanism is. No, it's not angelicalism. It's Anglicanism. But it's such a rich tradition compared to what maybe most of us, at least I, came out of. I remember the first time that I attended an evening prayer service in seminary. It would have been 2017, probably. And I had just taken the plunge into Anglicanism and signed up to uh, join the Anglican Studies Certificate at my seminary. And as I entered into the chapel, we were coming in from the, from the side in the front here, and I watched one by one as all my fellow students stopped before they went to their seat, turned around, and bowed. And I thought, this is the weirdest and most awkward thing I've ever seen in my life. I had no idea what I was doing or what they were doing. But bless him, my my professor, Dr. McDermott, whispered into my ear when he saw my, my confusion. And he said, we're reverencing the cross as we come in. We face the cross and bow in a way to reverence it. 
But my mind was like, isn't this worshiping the cross? We don't worship the cross. We worship Jesus, right? Well, I was the weaker among my brethren, I admit. And over time, I came to realize that everything that Anglicans do in worship is playing out some sort of drama. By bowing to the cross, we don't worship it, but we acknowledge that I am who I am and I am where I am today because Jesus willingly subjected himself to the cross. I don't honor the cross so much as I honor the one who died upon it. Now, if you came in here this evening and did not honor the cross in this way, does this mean you love Jesus less than anyone else who did? Absolutely not. And this is the freedom that we have in Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. I ought not to bow to the cross if I think that by doing so is to worship it rather than the Lord. But if I'm convinced in my mind that bowing to the cross is a way I can thank him and honor him, then I do nothing wrong is what Paul is saying. But here's the thing. Not a single person in this room can adequately judge what you or I am convinced of in our own minds. Only the Lord knows this, which is why St. Paul says that none of us live to himself and none of us dies to himself. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, where every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess to him. So friends, the Anglican way is a rich tradition with many ways to honor the Lord. It offers many things that may benefit us, but it only requires those things that we find in Holy Scripture. So don't worry about what others think about you and the way that you honor the Lord. Each of us will give our account to God, which brings me to my own struggles with keeping Sabbath. Now, I mentioned that I had a call last week with our church planning coach. His name is Dan Alger. And on top of my nonstop schedule, I'd been sharing with him some of the discouragements that just come with not only church planning, but I think with just ministry in general. Now, I'm not sure that if you've noticed, but we've been missing some people in our congregation recently. Now, before I go into this, I just want to take a sidestep and celebrate something this morning, or this evening. I'll never get used to saying this morning, <laughs> which is why we need to get to morning services as soon as possible. Um, uh, to this week of this year marks um, the very first previous service that we had uh, together at Mission St. James. So a, a year ago this week in the year, we were having our first preview service, which is incredible. We didn't launch our weekly services and weekly services until um, April. So if you're just now vi uh, visiting with us or haven't been here for very long, that's uh, uh, we 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 had a season of monthly services. We called our preview services. So this week is the celebration of the of a year of having public services together, which is which is great. But when we launched our weekly services, we launched with 82 people. And through mid-June, we averaged around 60 folks. We knew that this would decline over the summer because people travel, right? But sure enough, our average attendance dipped down into the 50s over the summer. And of course, we know that that is not all about the numbers. But when you're trying to start a church and you have a finite amount of funding, you tend to count a lot. 
Those numbers become very important. And with the exception of the Sunday after our block, block party, our attendance has been sort of around uh, the low 40s for the last month or so. So we've lost some folks over the summer. Some have moved. Some have decided that the Anglican way is not their way. And that's been discouraging. However, however, the Lord has prompted many of you in recent weeks to share with me how thankful you are for the ministry of Mission St. James. In church planning, I don't know if I'll ever not think about all those out there who are not in here. That's just going to be part of it. And it's, a, it's something I have to fight against. And the danger that comes with that is that I miss all of those who are in here and not out there, right? So in all of our training, all of our trainers have told us over and over again that the team that we begin with will not be the same team that we're with in five years. And sometimes we feel that. But they also tell us this. Act your age. Act your age. What they mean by this is that a church plant is a child. It's a baby. And you don't expect children to do what adults do. Now, our vision for Mission St. James has really been twofold. First, we want to be a home, a place for the wanderers to dwell. We want to be a, a, a place where the Lord is present, where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell. A place where we can honor the Lord together as a family. But second, we also want to be a people who extend that same hospitality to those out in our community who need it the most. And my crazy imagination mixes all of this stuff together. And what I see is us serving the poor and the needy together. What I see is us uh, loving uh, and caring for single mothers or vulnerable children all alongside one another. In the name of Jesus, I see us running into the mess of our community rather than running away from it. And rather than Mission St. James being a safe enclave amidst a chaotic world, I see us bringing the peace of Jesus out into the world, even at our own personal expense and safety. But that's the adult Mission St. James. That doesn't mean we don't serve at the Rifa soup, soup Kitchen doesn't mean we part, don't participate now in things like Room in the Inn. It just means that we have a bandwidth as a small church. We have limitations. And so do Janie and I. Now, the advantage to having a church planting coach is that they see, they have seen things, uh, they have seen it all before. They know when exhaustion and burnout are brewing. And I'm not so sure church planters are all that keen when it's happening. So uh, Dan, our coach, Coach Dan, gave me a directive to take a Sabbath. That was Thursday, so I canceled all my meetings for Thursday and Friday. And I didn't write this sermon until the actual Sabbath on Saturday. And to ensure we don't head down an unhealthy path, he is requiring us to take a couple weeks off in October, which I think will be the night through the 22nd. But I'm telling you all of this because for two reasons. And the first is 
because you have limitations as well. You have limitations too. And the second reason is that we're all church planners together. Pastor John Ortberg once called Dallas Willard, who was a philosopher and a writer on spirituality, if you know that name. And he asked Dallas, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? And after a long silence, Willard replied with these words. You might know him. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. I see a lot of smiles and nods. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. Now, I, read, um, John, I read that in John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I, I highly, uh, uh, what do I do? Uh, recommend. recommend, thank you. Yeah, I highly recommend that. The book is all about our limitations, and it's about how to rest and Sabbath in God. Now, I've gotten to know many of you pretty well in the last year or so. And one word that keeps coming out of many of your mouths is the word anxiety. I want you to hear that. Because many of you are sitting there thinking, I'm the only one. Why do I have anxiety? I'm just telling you, you're sitting in a room full of people who have anxiety. A lot of anxiety. Our culture is actually riddled with anxiety. It's being eaten away by anxiety. And I think this is the case for many reasons, but one of them is that we don't respect our own limits. We're always in a hurry, right? And as as vigilant as I think I am in this regard, it's clear that I apparently have a lot to learn. And I realize that if Mission St. James is going to thrive... We all have to learn how to rest. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? For us to thrive, we must learn how to rest. We're no good to anyone if we're an anxious ball of hurried energy. And if we want to be hospitable and invite anyone to come and dwell with our family, we need to be a place of rest. So we need to accept our limits, admit our limits. You do, and I do as well. Second, we are all church planters. I hate to tell you this. One of the hardest questions I've had to answer here um, is, how can I help? I don't think there is a single one of you that has not asked this question probably multiple times. And I hope that you've received some answers from either Janie or myself. But you've also probably heard us say, no, I think we're good. I think we're good. Now, I'm a perfectionist, so it's very difficult for me to hand things over. And I admit to you that this is pride. So when you get this answer, will you do me a favor? Would you remember this phrase, this response? When you ask how you can help and you get that from me, just remind me, I'm a church planner too, Ben. I'm a church planner too. Because the success of Mission St. James will largely depend on all of us identifying as church planters. 
Since April, we've been uh, mainly concerned with holding these weekly services. But, but while that might be the center of our life together as we come and hear the word of God and hear it preached and receive the sacrament, as we do that, and that's the center of our life, it's not the entirety of our life. One thing that's becoming apparent is that our ministry is outside of these walls, wherever it is that we happen to be gathered. We are filled and edified here, but there are many out there who are not in here. And while I hope that they will eventually join us in here, this is not where our work really lies in this place. It's in your families. It's in your neighborhoods. It's in your schools and your workplaces and every place in between. The grocery store, Walgreens, wherever you might find yourself. The work is out there is the point. So since we are all church planters and keeping in mind that we all have limits, here's what I'm asking you to help. Here's how I'm asking you to help. It's the same thing that we were told when we first moved back to Jackson. Develop relationships. That's it. Develop relationships. Now, I don't know how you do that. And you might be surprised to hear that I am a very introverted person. Some people are surprised by that, but it's true. So this introvert had to get, had to get over social anxieties and meet strangers for coffee, go out to lunch, invite people to events and things that I wouldn't normally do. It means that I couldn't just hang out with my friends all the time. I had to make room for others I did not know. I'm not even asking you necessarily to invite anyone to this church. I'm not telling you not to. I'm just asking you to develop relationships. Ask people questions. Be curious about the lives of others. Connect with people. Because here's the thing. Our culture is lonely. Our culture is lonely. And this is especially true for us men. This is why I started first round at uh, the, the brewery downtown between four and six on Thursdays. It's just an open invitation for men to come. And I've heard men over and over and over again tell me, thank you for doing this. I've got nothing. It's the only time of the week that I have to get together with other men. We're lonely. Most of those folks don't and won't ever visit Mission St. James. But that's not the point. We may never grow larger than we are. In fact, if we keep trying to grow larger than we are without developing relationships, I'm not sure how honorable we are being to the Lord. Now, the way that I develop relationships may not be the way that you develop relationships. But remember, we are all being conformed to the image of Christ because of the gospel, because of the gospel Here's what I want to leave you with, that when Christians develop relationships with others, Jesus is there in the midst of them, whether the other person realizes it or not. Jesus is in the midst because we take Jesus with us wherever we go. Now, I'm not saying that the success of Mission St. James depends on any one of you. 
I'm saying that depends on all of us working together, loving together on mission together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of limitations and reminding us that we can't do everything on our own and reminding us that we uh, need your help, your guidance at all times, and reminding us that we are your body, all with different gifts, and all of us are necessary. All of us are important. All of us have something to give and something to bring. So, Lord, would you give us a love for one another that we wouldn't uh, be prone to judge or condemn others for honoring you in different ways, but instead, Lord, that we would honor you together in all of our various ways and that we would be able to take you with us out into the world and introduce other people to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.